It's the Radius Podcast, recorded live from New York City. Welcome. Um, this is Anastasia. We're here with the Radius Podcast series, and we have Jordan Canino, Director of Acquisitions with Snapbox Self Storage. Welcome, Jordan. How are you? I'm good. I just met you last week, and you're our guinea pig for our first uh, interview podcast with me. Great. I'm excited. I can't wait to uh, share some knowledge and stories. And Hopefully some of the stories you're not sharing with anyone else and we got some good content we can create together. Um, any stories that uh, happen as a result of drinking at a self-storage conference, you might want to leave off of this unless they're good to share. Oh, no problem. <laughs> well, before we get started, uh, what did you notice at the conference? What was the vibe like for you? Um, the conference vibe was generally great. Uh, the venue was really conducive to meetings and running into, you know, my peers and colleagues. And just the general theme was, you know, you, you know, I think the cycle is going longer than people. The quote unquote cycle is going longer than people think. Interest rates are still very great and, and you know, conducive to deal making. And, you know, people are still out there buying and selling and it's a very competitive market for good and bad. Uh, you know, we, we tend to think of this industry as a friendly competitive industry. And so a lot of times you might be vying for deals that other people are as well, um, that you know, well, it, is it funny almost, or do you find that it's, it's a bit fierce, like the con- competitive spirit is changing or people still pretty friendly with one another? I mean, I think both. <clears throat> At the end of the day, not every deal works for every group, right? So in a perfect world, you know, if a deal doesn't work for us and our group, you know, I have a list of people on, you know, one hand that I call right away because I'd rather them get it than anyone else. So if I have something that's, you know, close to being under contract or if it's off market, I have no problem sharing those with my close, you know, peers that would appreciate that. Um, at the same time, sometimes when a deal's on market, um, it's very competitive. You know, we're going against other private companies, we're going against public companies, we're going against people that have been in the industry forever and people that are new to the industry. So that creates, you know, everyone values properties differently. So that creates, you know, tons of competition and <laughs> it's a good time to be a seller. Um, for the most part, because you're, you know, you're getting, especially on market deals are getting driven up by all the different groups that are trying to buy for those certain markets and deals. Well, so let's start at the beginning then, you know, folks that are going to be listening to this, they may already be in the industry. They might be thinking about getting in. So talk to me about you and your company. How did you guys get started? Yeah. So um, my two partners, uh, my COO and CEO, um, Matt Lang is our COO and, and Jake Ramage is our CEO and they're co-founders of my company. They individually were both working at Collier's, ironically out of Philadelphia, um, and knew each other for probably at that point, 10 years. Uh, their wives were friendly. Um, I happened to be friendly with them outside of work and, and before I joined. And basically one day, you know, they were sitting down at lunch and at that point, Jake, who was an appraiser for Collier's, was speaking to, you know, the appraisal side of the business, how he was valuing these properties. 
and Matt was, you know, in sales and leasing um, for industrial products mostly. So he, you know, he was interfacing with, you know, self-storage properties frequently. So they put their heads together and they said, you know, let's buy one. Uh, that was in 2013. Um, that's when really our business was, you know, I would say, started but not formed fully yet. Right? We didn't have a full brand yet. You know, we didn't have we didn't have an equity partner. So that first deal was obviously syndicated equity, and they then went and bought two more properties in 2014, six and 15, and so on and so forth. And now we, you know, we have our our brand name Snapbox. We own and operate. Um, 35 stores and hope to be owning and operating 50 by the end of this year. So that's how my company was started. In terms of my entrance into the business, I um, went to business school, undergraduate business school, and then law school. And myself owned my own business, which was a fitness studio in Manhattan, prior to me really getting fully into real estate. And then once I did get into real estate, I was working at JLL down in South Florida, Miami office, doing um, sales and leasing for office industrial product. And um, once I realized that I can't live in Miami the rest of my life and that you know I'm from Philly and I need to get back home, I moved back to Philly and I happened to work at Collier's myself. So for just by happenstance, no, there was no, you know, it's ironic that both all three of us worked at Collier's at some point. We never crossed over. They had already left and we're running the business. And so now it's been about a year and a half um, as director of acquisitions. And um, it's, it's been a great first 18 months in the business. You know, I had talked to people about the business and I've read about it, but I, I never been really in it. So, you know, my feet are fully wet now and I uh, we're full steam ahead. So it's been great. And I only think that it's going to be even better. So. Well, thank you for the overview. And uh, it is interesting that you guys all worked at the same company, but never crossed paths. But um, sounds like you all found each other. You guys are rocking and rolling with acquisitions. Um, you said you're at 35 properties, looking to be at 50 by the end of 2019. So where are you looking? Where do you guys want to be operating? Right. So right now we are in 10 states and about 15 markets. Um, by the end, you know, I would say that our goal is to build around those, you know, footprints. Um, we are based out of Philadelphia, so it's always, and our, our operations team is based out of Philadelphia. So when we look at opportunities two to three hours in Philadelphia, that's ideal. Um, but we really want to be, we only have one property in Florida, so we want to be in Florida, you know, have some more presence in Florida. We have a large, footprint in Arkansas. So we know that market pretty well. And we're talking to a lot of owners there all the time. So I think we'll, we'll expand there. And then a little bit more in the Midwest, we have some properties in and around Indianapolis. So we could go into Ohio and, and build that out a little bit more. Um, and then lastly, we, we bought a great opportunity this past year in Tacoma in the Seattle MSA. And I am, I'm busy trying to find us more properties out there. It's just it's not very easy to, to buy from a market that is super competitive, that there is infrequent trade. So, you know, all those and, you know, we're opportunistic. So if, if we can buy in a market with scale, we'll look at any market. 
Um, we're not going to buy a one-off property right now in Phoenix, right? Mm-hmm. But we would buy a portfolio potentially in Phoenix in a mark in a submarket that we felt was, you know, at equilibrium or undersaturated. So, yeah, that's generally it. Um, we we're not really opposed to any market. Yes, there's a lot of noise with certain markets about oversupply and. You know, we see the numbers of population growth. You know, obviously, we're like everyone. We like to see strong population and good household income and, you know, all the other metrics that everyone looks at. But at the end of the day, we're opportunistic and every property has its own story. So it's just a matter of whether we believe in that story or not. Um, And our equity partner has to be along for the ride. So that's generally where we're at. So do the properties have to be stabilized? Generally, yes, but not necessarily. I, w- I can't say that we would buy a CO deal, and I can't say we would buy a property that was 30% occupied because it just doesn't really fit the profile of our fund, um, which I can speak to in a little bit You know, if you want to talk about that regarding our relationship with equity partner and you know, specifics of the fund. I mean, I'm not going to go into full detail, but no, you generally, can yeah, give us an overview. Yeah. So, you know, last December we closed on a fund with a family office out of New York called CSM Capital Corp. You know, we have $50 million in equity to spend and the horizons about two to three years. Um, we've spent about a third of it so far. Um, the fund was primarily made to acquire existing assets that are value-add or stabilized um, in markets that are you know, generally in the top 100 MSAs. Um, I would say that the minimum size deal would be $3 million and up. Uh, the size requirement is about 35000 net rentable and up. Obviously, you know, we could, it's, not, it's not a strict box, and we can go outside that box if it made sense. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're looking just to be, it's an opportunistic fund, you know, while we look for, you know, while both looking for strong cash on cash returns and a strong IRR yield. So like most groups, you know, it's, uh, it's not at, at this point in the market and, and today's market, uh, it's not so easy buying deals that satisfy all of those things. Um, but that's what, you know, keeps us coming to work every day and hustling. Talk to me a little bit about cap rates, what you're seeing in the marketplace right now. Um, yeah. Do you want to pick certain markets or? Let's let's go with the Northeast and Philadelphia specifically, just because that's your backyard. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the Northeast is really, in my opinion, comprised of New York and then everyone else. <laughs> so we, we don't really look at New York for the most part because of just the nature of the cap rates there. And when you're entering that market and buying at such a low cap, which can be as low as for a stabilized product four, right? Or in the fours, Mm -hmm. it's really hard to hit a certain cash on cash return in years one, two, and three. And, you know, yes, New York, if you, if you have super patient money that just wants to, you know, a, a coupon that clips at five to six percent a year, New York's great. Or if you have, you know, so many properties in that market, or you're a, a REIT, you know, it, it makes sense. But for us, we really, it's hard for us to look at a property 
in the five boroughs because of just the cap rate. Um, you're paying a price that makes operating that store and hitting your returns very difficult. In addition, all the players there are, for the most part, REITs or very large private companies. So you're, you know, you're already operate. You're already in a, a marketplace that is operating super efficiently. You're probably not going to be buying it from a mom and pop. And if you are, there's a reason that someone else hasn't bought it already. Um, so that's generally New York, and cap rates can be. I'd say today's cap rate in New York is somewhere between four and five. Um, but the rest of the Northeast, I think there's some opportunity. I mean, we last year looked at a portfolio in. Baltimore DC corridor. Um, the cap rate for that was somewhere between a five and a half to six, depending on how you underwrite it and what your expense load is and how the tax, you know, what, how you're underwriting the taxes. Um, and that's going in cap. So, and then I would say Philadelphia today, um, it's probably similar. You know what I mean? The nicer the product, you're going to be closer to that five and a half or even maybe can go lower. But you could buy in the Philly MSA for six or six and a quarter. Um, and then generally, what else? In Arkansas, it, you know, it can be hugely different between two different properties. So a property that's on Maine and Maine that's class A or B could be as low as you know, five and three quarters cap. And then there's that property that's just somewhat in the middle of nowhere and tertiary. That could be a seven cap. Um, so that's kind of what we're seeing. I mean, I look at a lot of deals in Florida as well, and that varies. I mean, there's a deal out there right now that they're trying to sell for in the fours in South Florida. Um, but you see sixes to six and a half. Um, but I think that as long as interest rates stay the same, cap rates are going to pretty much stay the same. And, and that's something that, you know, listen, I'm not in the business of guessing what's happened with interest rates, but I do know that today you can borrow money at a pretty cheap price. Mm-hmm. So with that being the case, you know, cap rates are probably going to stay the same so long as that's the case. If they do go up, you know, cap rates inherently have to or will will shortly thereafter. Um, but that's generally cap rates. I mean, at the end of the day, everyone views them kind of differently. I was on the phone with the seller, you know, earlier this week, and I was trying to explain to him that what his cap rate and my cap rate is hard to compare because we're using completely different expense numbers. So what he thought, he's like, well, it's a, you know, I'm giving you that it's seven cap. Well, when your expenses are non-existent, um, it's kind of hard to compare that. So, you know, that's just another thing that you deal with every day, but. Cap rates in general, I would say, across the country are between a five and a seven or seven and a half for, for properties that we're looking at. And does it matter to you? I mean, we talked about New York a little bit in Florida, but you said Ohio. So are you willing to look at deals in any type of market, meaning tertiary? Does it have yeah, to be? I mean, okay. it doesn't have to be, quote unquote, secondary. It can be tertiary if it's large enough. And, you know, if we have another property that's somewhat close by so from an operational standpoint there's some efficiencies there um but yeah it doesn't the whole tertiary secondary primary it's really we're opportunistic and it 
it all depends on that specific trade area. Are you managing so, your own properties? Yes, we do. We and do you all of our own properties except for five? Okay. And are you providing third party? We are not. Okay. All right. Well, what's happening with lending? We talked a little bit about cap rates and from your perspective, if they stay the same, the rates, what do you guys want to do? What are we what are we seeing? What are we seeing right now in terms of lending? Yes. Yeah. So we primarily use CMBS lending. Um, we will hopefully branch out to do maybe an insurance deal for debt this year, maybe just to keep us on our toes and it works sometimes better for certain deals. But what we're seeing today, um, I just got quoted on a deal today, you know, you can get up to 75% leverage. Um, so long as the debt yield is above a certain threshold, which is somewhere between eight and a half and eight and three quarters, depending on the group. Um, then your, your interest only period, it's really for a deal like that, it's going to be two or three years. If you're looking at getting five or 10 years for a 10 year deal, I'm just speaking to a 10 year deal, by the way, uh, with 30 year average, just to let you know. So if you're looking at five or 10 year interest only options, you will lower your leverage. So for a five year deal, your max leverage is somewhere between 67 and 70. And for a 10 year IO deal, it's between probably 60 and 65. Um, spreads are for the, you know, conventional deal, which is two to three years IO, 72 to 75% leverage, or if you're looking at probably the 10-year swap plus 210 to 230, something like that, um, which today the 10-year swap is 2.62. So if you do the math, you're looking at borrowing money at four and three quarters, roughly, so 5%. Um, and then, you know, as you go lower leverage and higher interest only period, you're going to be, your spread's going to be lower. So you're, you could actually borrow money close to four and a half percent, which, I mean, that's, you can still make money in, in this market if you can borrow money, so long as there's not 15 other people trying to buy the deal that you're trying to buy. I'm putting you guys on the spot a little bit, but is your plan to hold the portfolio? Do you have a plan B as far as exiting the industry at a certain point or unit for the long haul? Um, I think like everything else, we're, we're kind of opportunistic. So depending on what comes our way and, you know, who we potentially partner with or our quote unquote dance partner in how we potentially sell or if we do and do we roll it up into their, you know, a bigger thing or it's very, to me, it's, um, I'm very day by day because I'm the director of acquisitions. Not, I didn't start the company, right? And I'm not in a position to make decisions like that. So I am, you know, I, I'm privy to some conversations, but I'd say that generally, you know, we plan on holding these properties for a while, build enough of them and a scale large enough to where we could exit. You know, what that exit is, there's many different options. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, I, I don't really, that's not my role in the company. Yep. So also for me to, to speak to that, I know, you know, Jake and Matt have lots of ideas and lots of contacts and big plans. So, you know, maybe in a couple of weeks or a month or 
maybe at some point soon we can get them on the horn and they'll they'll contribute some of that knowledge and and plan going forward but for now we're just trying to buy as many solid properties and solid markets that we can so then so that if we do if and when we do exit um many people want to buy our portfolio for you know a great price so in terms of acquisitions when you're reviewing a deal and let's just leave out market for a moment uh, when you're looking at the competition surrounding it i know we have to focus on location to see uh where pricing is and you guys come in you want something that's up open and operating what are what are some of the first efficiencies that take place when you acquire a property, does it vary or do you tend to see a common theme as you're reviewing the deals? So the most common theme when reviewing a deal and something that I kind of lead is our tax hit, right? So when is that tax hit going to take place? Does the county reassess upon sale? Um, What goes into the new reassessment? Is it on a, a cycle? So does it get reassessed? no matter what, every three or four or six years, um, that variable of taxes can win or lose a deal. So more more than not lose a deal, right? It's not going to win a deal, but what a not lose is a win in terms of taxes. A lose is just, you know, see, we can't buy this property because you're horribly underassessed. And, you know, whether it's year one, two, or three when it hits, you're going to cripple our, you know, cash flow and our NOI. So that I would say is huge. Um, we also look at obviously, you know, what the current operator, you know, how they're operating their business. Are they spending enough on marketing? Do they pay, you know, their salaries? Does that include 401k and benefits? Um, what else? There's, you know, utilities and insurance and, and, um, administrative is all pretty and gna is pretty straightforward it's not going to be much change there um but the things i spoke of you know taxes on-site management you know that's pretty much and advertising can be a huge difference yep um, i'm not sure if that answered your question no it does um i, I was just going to have a follow-up to it for folks that are thinking about getting in the industry um, and they're looking at deals also, maybe some of them you're competing against or uh, you just happen to be in conversations. Maybe it was at the conference and trade show. What what are some of the things you would advise them to make sure they, they have an eye on before they get into the business? Um, I would advise them to meet as many other people that are trying to do the same thing as them and compare notes. Um, I think... In, in the world we live in, the best way to learn is through others. And something unique about self-storage is that, unlike anything I've seen in business, is that people are willing to share their information. Um, they're not going to send you their their tax returns or P&Ls <laughs> necessarily, right? Right. But they're going to tell you how they got to a certain point or something they've implemented or, you know, someone else they've met that's really been influential or just you know, pretty much everything. So I'd say befriend as many people. Like if you're in acquisitions, you try to befriend every single acquisitions person you can. Um, there, you know, you'd be surprised or they would be surprised about how willing and able people are to help and 
give advice and tell bad stories and good stories. And yeah, I would say that's one. And just be careful in terms of supply. So supply is the biggest concern, in my opinion. And as long as you, so long as you know where the new properties are coming up and when they're being built and how big they are, you can pretty much do a back of the napkin analysis of, okay, well, can I build here? All right. Yes or no. Oh, can I, if I can build here, should it be climate or non-climate? Should it be drive up? Should it be multi-story? Um, depending on what that market or that sub-market has, um, you know, supply. The information is out there. You can get it. It's not like it's a secret, right? Right. Because every every project has to be approved, and they have to tell you. So those are the two big things I would say: know about supply and befriend as many people as you can. Yeah. Well, did I miss anything? I don't know. I think <laughs> uh, there is a lot there. What so. about predictions? Anything you see happening in the next year, couple years out? that you want to speak to? I think potentially interest rates could go up, um, which will make cap rates go up, uh, which means that now is the time, if you're a seller, to sell. Because when the cap rates go up, your same property making the same money is worth less. So today, in the next three months, the next six months, the next nine months, and I'm not saying that's because I want to buy all the properties, because yeah, sure we do. But now is the time to sell, and it's probably going to become slightly easier for buyers who can stick it out during this time where it's very competitive to buy then. Um, so from a buying standpoint, that, you know that's kind of and selling. That's kind of how I feel. And then in terms of just generally in the business, I think that you'll see other groups partnering and JVing with other larger groups and rolling up their portfolio into a larger portfolio to have more market share to compete with the REITs, maybe. I think that could happen. And yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, there's there's still opportunity even in as competitive market as we are in. And the cream rises to the top. So we'll uh, we'll kind of see what happens with, with everything. And you know, I know I'm excited. So. Well, we'll we really appreciate you taking the time today to sit with us, talk, share your thoughts on what's happening in the marketplace and what you're doing as a company. We certainly wish you all the success. Um, and I'm looking forward. We're going to see you at the Inside Self Storage Expo coming up next month. Yep, we will. Are you speaking? <laughs> Maybe if you guys are interviewing me with the <laughs> camera again. But we will I, be. I will not. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll be speaking. Okay. For all the people that are tuning into that, you know, you'll see me there, but no, I, I, as of right now, I'm not speaking. Um, still kind of new to this thing and meeting people, but that, that'll be sometime down the road when I am much smarter <laughs> and wiser and more successful and all the things that go along with speaking on a panel. Well, I think uh, they got someone good um, on your team uh, being you. So um, anything we can do to help, we're always here and we appreciate you taking the time. Um, Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys reaching out. And I look forward to a long working relationship with you guys doing stuff together in the future. And, and you know, thanks again. All right. Thank you. 
You've been listening to the Radius Podcast. Don't miss a beat. Subscribe today and stay up to date on self-storage. And come and hang out with us at RadiusPlus.com. We'd love to hear from you. 